You're listening to the Sixers Beat with your host, Derek Bodner, right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. All right, welcome everybody. I am joined by Rich Hoffman on the latest Sixers beat. We obviously have quite a bit to actually happen since we we had our last recording. Obviously, the Reddick and Amir Johnson signings. Firkin Korkmaz got out of his contract and is actually going to play in Summer League. He's not going to play in the, the FIBA U-20 tournaments. He's, he's instead going to play in Utah and Vegas. He will suit up tonight. Uh, we have, let's see... Fultz and Bolden played their first game, so we have impressions of that. Uh, we'll get to all of that. Of course, subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, all those. You know the spiel. Head over to SixersBeat.com for the links for there. Also, check out the CLNS Media app and check out our sponsors, Harry's Razors, harrys.com slash SixersBeat for a great shave. But hey, Rich, how you doing? Not bad, Derek. A lot of stuff going on. The it, there right is now. a surprising a lot of, a surprising amount of stuff going on for what fucking early July. Like this is usually at the point, even though free agents can't even technically sign yet, this is usually about the point where things start dying down. But we have a we have a lot to uh, a lot to talk about. There's a lot going on, a lot of important stuff going on in Sixers land. I guess it's it's kind of been a week of surprising developments. How surprised were you? Because I, I know we talked on the last one. Give you know, give give JJ Redick whatever you want for two years. Just do it. Get him here. That's fine. Just keep keep the summer of 2019 open for a one year deal. Were you as stunned as I was? I was really surprised, and I think that's a product of us maybe overestimating what the market would be in general, because it, it really seems like 2016 was this once in a lifetime shot where. Yeah, ridiculous contracts were being handed out left and right on July 1st. And this year, it seems like teams finally, they started to become more conservative and they started uh, they started saying to the players, hey, let's see if you can get a better offer. And really, those offers all across the league didn't materialize. Now, I, I believe on the last one, we talked about Brooklyn being that one team that we were afraid of in terms of, look, J.J. Redick would be a great fit in Philly, but we don't want them for more than three years here because that would screw up their chance at landing a great, uh, a great free agent down the road. And I, I mean, it seems like Brooklyn and uh, and Minnesota even offered him multiple years, but I mean, not to the point where the Sixers one year, $23 million offer. I mean, it just took precedence. And first off, I, I think it's great. Like that is a home run signing in my opinion, because one, I think it's going to work. Like, J.J. Reddick's going to provide the spacing that the Sixers badly need. But if he stinks or if he's hurt, your books are clean next year. So, I mean, I was really surprised that they were able to get that done. And, I mean, at one year, it's just – they were – it seems like they – Zach Lowe had reported it the day before that they were intent on handing out one-year contracts. They had a pretty good gauge of the market. And they played it perfectly. They stuck to their plan and were still able to get their guy. Yeah, and even in that article that you referenced, that Zach Lowe article, he said that probably takes them out of the J.J. Reddick yep. running, which is kind of what I assumed when I read that from Zach. I, I I agreed with him. And certainly the market is nowhere near what it was last year. I mean, that, that jump was far, far more significant. I mean, this jump was only like $5 million. It's only going to be, you know, a couple million more next year. 
so that's you know I think teams realize that you're not going to get out of you know get out of jail free pass with uh, with your signings for much longer. But uh, you know I think I think he made a little bit of a bet with himself because there were those long term term deals on the table. I was also told, although I don't know the exact specifics, that there was a significant three year deal on the table for him. And I think he's basically betting. Well, first of all, he's it, it's I think part of it is that the Sixers are much better situation for a player like himself to look good and to be in a spot where he can succeed because a guy, a shooter like that, you know, you put a, put a shooter on Brooklyn where you have what D'Angelo Russell creating for you and Jeremy Lin. Levert creating for you. Like you're not going to get the same open looks as you will with guys like Embiid and Fultz and Simmons. So I think he put a, put himself in a spot where he can maximize his year one earnings and a spot where he can show himself enough where he can then get another contract next year. And I think he's just betting on the fact that, yeah, he doesn't have that certainty, but he has, you know, let's say maybe five or six million more this year, and he can still get that money in future years. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, last three years, 78 games, 75 games, 78 games, like he hasn't had that major major injury of late. He probably feels like he can go out in free agency next summer and, and get a good offer. And look, if he's willing to play on a prove-me contract and the Sixers are willing to, you know, fit him in there. I mean, there's really no downside to this contract. Like, you can still go out there. They have about $15 million in cap space. That's enough to do a renegotiate on Covington and make it profitable enough for him to hopefully get him locked into a, a, a long-term extension. Is it? Wait, 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 real quick. Is it? It is. Uh, okay. I ran the numbers recently. And basically what you're looking at, yeah, it would be better if you could start him at $20 million, then drop him to twelve, and then go down from there. Let's see. The model I use it on is if he wanted a four-year $60 million deal out of you know next summer and basically what i came to is the fact that you only have 15 million to offer now you're gonna it's gonna cost you about seven hundred nine hundred thousand dollars in cap space in each of the four years over the course of that uh over the course of that contract so it's gonna hurt you a little bit but it's not yeah you 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 can live with it um and that four year 60 i just kind of made up on a spot it might be overshooting a little bit because like you said the market for wings just isn't what it was a year ago maybe he's looking for like a four-year 50 million dollar deal instead and in which case you can't even really be offering $20 million as a starting point because you can only drop that then down to $12 million. You can only drop that by 40%. So that uh, that lost money becomes even less significant. So if it ends up being a four-year $50 million deal, this might not even hurt you at all. Um, but really, if it, if it even if it does, even if, let's say, it costs you $700,000, $900,000 per year in, in future cost, really what you're talking about there is Amir Johnson signing, not even the J.J. Reddick. The J.J. Reddick at $23 million, for the for the one year, really it it really is no downside, and that's a it's pretty rare that you get a contract for a, a big name guy like that, a proven guy like that, that has really no downside to it. It really was the perfect fit, like and as we said, I mean, before this year, what's the most that JJ Redick made in one year of his NBA career? Hold on, like, I got his I got his B ball ref page up. Was uh, it like, I think it was like eight million. I think he signed yeah, four thirty two right. with the Clips last time, which is just. Not yeah. even anything. Seven point seven point four is the most he's ever made. That's insane. So I mean, it's not like he's he's not really happy with this deal. I mean, he's making three times as much in, in one year. So yeah, it's it's the perfect fit. It's just the Sixers were, were able to get him to one year, and like I think he looked at it too as this is the place that needs me the most. Like this is a good up and coming team who needs shooting in the worst way. And 
I mean, as you said, you ran the numbers like with Covington's extension, which is really the only thing left of consequence that the Sixers have to get done this offseason. The Sixers have clearly ran the numbers. So while the Amir Johnson one-year $11 million signing just in a vacuum seemed a little iffy, seemed like, you know, what's the point? They clearly value his veteran leadership, and they surely know what the number is that it's going to take to get Covington signed. Yeah, once uh... – once they, once the news of Reddit came out, I tweeted out like, "All right, just uh, just renegotiate and extend Cove and call it an off season." Then like thirty minutes later, they announced the Amir Johnson one. I was like, "Well, thanks guys." Let's go to Amir Johnson for a second. I think we all agree. I mean, we've spent you know since February talking about Reddick and his fit and how he's how well he's going to fit. Did the you know Keith? I think Keith Pompey reported the day before that they were interested in him, and then they went out and they got him one year, eleven million. Did that surprise you a little bit? And I guess, I guess, following up on that, how do you see them using him? Like, is he going to be? Are we talking about twenty minutes a game, or are we talking a little less than that? I mean, I don't want to see him getting minutes over Rashawn Holmes. Was my my first thought, because I mean, I think he, Rashawn Holmes is a much higher upside moving forward. That one did take me by surprise a little bit. It just seemed like they didn't necessarily need to do it. Now, obviously. Amir at 30 years old is already a grizzled vet because he came into the league as like a 17, 18 year old. And he definitely provides like, he's been on winning teams for about four or five years now in Toronto and Boston. And I think last year in Boston, he was pretty much used as the starter who plays about six minutes at the beginning of each half. And then you don't, you don't hear from him the rest of the game. I, you know, he, his athleticism, noticeably has dropped over the past few years. <laughs> I saw people talking about him being a stretch three-point guy. I mean, he, he took yeah. less than one three per game. I, I don't really buy that. He, it, it seemed like – I'm not sure I totally agreed with it, especially if Okafor is still on the roster. I, I didn't really necessarily see the need for it, but it, to, to me it just seems like they're really valuing like a veteran presence here. And just if they – uh if they weren't going to use the rest of that cap space on a long-term player, they said, hey, Amir, would you come in and be a mentor to guys like Embiid and Holmes and just make sure everything's running on time? And I, Of course, I mean, for $11 million, sure, why not? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned how long he's been in the league and his declining athleticism, and he kind of went from, like, a little more of a 3-4 to almost a strict 5 of late. Um, he's certainly the stretch 4, I agree with you. I mean, he he – attempted like 63s last year, shot 40%, but the year before he took about the exact same sample and shot like 20%. So there might be a tiny bit of noise in there. But yeah, I mean, he's going to he's gonna give you... The way I look at him is when Embiid's out, he's your backup five. When Embiid's in, he's your locker room guy. And yep. maybe he gets spot minutes, a 10-minute run here and there just to keep him fresh. Um, I'm certainly not looking at him as a stretch four. I'm certainly not looking at him as a guy because of his outside shooting he's going to fit really. Uh, he's, to me, just a an experienced guy, a guy to learn from, and a guy to give you, you know, kind of like a breaking case of emergency big man. I was surprised. I mean, one year, $11 million is probably about the... I think he made, like, close to that last year when he was, you know, in a, a, a in a different landscape. So I think a $11 million is probably about the going rate for a backup big man with his kind of experience. Not a good signing, I would say. Like, I, I certainly, I'm not sitting here like, yeah, they got Amir Johnson for $11 million one year. That's great. But also not one that's really going to hurt you. Again, the only thing I worry about, get Covington done. And if that doesn't happen, then I'll be a little more critical. But but as I said, they still have the cap room and the flexibility to do that. 
And the only other thing you might have done with that cap space really is maybe try to buy another first round pick like you've done in the past. But, you know, this is, uh, you know, clearly the, the previous regime valued that highly. And at that stage of the rebuild, it's a yeah. very different, very different calculus to do so. And clearly this regime va- values veterans and clubhouse presence and locker room and teaching the young kids. And again, you're at a very different stage in your rebuild and you have guys who, you know, I kind of got into this argument the other day. Well, you know, if you would have had some vets around, maybe Michael Carly Williams would have been better. Well, yeah, maybe he would have been better. And now he's, you know, a six man instead of, you know, barely making the league. Maybe, maybe somebody picks up his, his option uh, or, or offers him the qualifying offer. I mean, instead of declines it, uh, but he was never going to turn into a superstar. I don't think these are, these are guys that you care much more about whether or not they develop. So, you know, if they want to go out there and get a, get a guy to mentor them I'm 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 pretty okay with that not thrilled with it I think you probably could have gotten a, a mentor that's a little cheaper but I'm okay with it yeah and again one-year deal really yep I, as long as you get Covington done can't argue with it they uh I, I certainly look at, at Mir as more of a uh, six hard fouls type of guy than, than a stretch four yeah. guy though which he's good at which he's good yep. at. He's, he's a good dude too like I, I think as far as the the veteranness you know it's, it's hard to quantify that but just from following the league over the past few years, it, it does seem like he was beloved in that Toronto locker for sure. So, yeah. Yep. Do you think there's any argument to the starting lineup, not being Fultz, Reddick, Covington, Simmons, and Embiid? I think that's locked in, man. I, yeah. It, I mean, it's certainly not the, the Tom Penn slide Okafor in at the four, <laughs> the, the ESPN NBA draft, <laughs> put the Aaron Fox at the one and, uh, you know, Whatever it's yeah I mean the the question obviously everybody brings up is is Sarich but look I I just think Ben Simmons is a four he he's gonna guard power forwards he's big enough to do it and he's at his best taking the ball off the rim he's a great defensive rebounder and that fuels his transition game so I look Dario's still gonna play a ton but what you're gonna take Robert Covington out of the starting lineup? No way. With Markel Fultz and JJ Redick as your backcourt, like you're gonna need some defense out there. Yeah, so. there's no way Brett is taking his best, most versatile defender and putting him on the bench. I just don't, I don't see that happening. Not, not the Brett Brown I've come to know over the last, you know, four years. They're gonna have their work cut out, by the way, Covington and Embiid on the defensive end with that starting lineup. Not to say they aren't up to it, but they're gonna have their work cut out. Yeah. I mean, they always say you can hide hide one bad defender, but two to three bad defenders is a, is a challenge. And, I mean, Redick, I wouldn't say, is a bad – like, he's a decent – Really team smart defender. team defender. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's not he's, – you're not going to put him on the best wing ever. Um, Fultz certainly has potential, but he's – I mean, even, even in a game Monday night, you could see him fall asleep quite a bit. And Simmons is – you know, like you've said before, the next time he gets in the stance will be the first time. Um, Tools are there, but they got to put them to use. Yeah. Brett, Brett Brown, it's good that they have two guys in Fultz and Simmons who have the ability. Now Brett Brown has to get him to do that and has to really, really dig into those 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 details and those habits and those that recognition. They're not going to be great. Like, I, <laughs> look, Joel Embiid brought you know, Nick Stauskas and TJ McConnell and, and all these guys into the top of the league defensively. So they're going to be good when he's on the court. But when he's off, they're still going to struggle. And that's okay. Like, this isn't as much as we might get into it, and we'll kind of joke around about a, a, a 
win prediction. This isn't a 50-55 win team. This isn't a real contender. So if Fultz and Simmons fall asleep at times, as long as they're they're showing the willingness to improve and they're making steps, you'll live with that. But this team will, A, commit a lot of turnovers, just a shit ton of turnovers. And B, they will get beat at times defensively. And, and, and hopefully you just see that progress and that improvement. When Ben Simmons and Fultz are in the game, I would uh, I would advise fans sitting in the lower levels to not look down at their phones because there's going to be a few of those passes that, that go into the stands for sure. Yeah, a couple thoughts on the defense. One, uh, as far as the young guys are concerned, uh, one, we don't know too much about Brett Brown as a coach except he can keep a locker room together during some trying times. But one of the things I am confident about is he will get the most out of them defensively. I'm, I'm pretty confident in that. And and the second thing is they have like they have legit ability and the, the beauty of it is when Embiid is in there like as bad as your backcourt is you're not going to be terrible because that guy yep. is by himself a defensive force so it was really important and this goes back to the Reddick signing like defense not his strong suit decent team defender you need his shooting on the floor because that's what was most important on both sides of the ball as far as a free agent fit. Yeah, no, and I mean, it, it really is amazing that we can sit here and, and say, oh, you've got a, a bad backcourt defensively, and you've got Ben Simmons, who who hasn't really bought in yet, and say, oh, well, when, when Embiid's on the court, I kind of expect this to be a top 10 defense. And that's not absurd at all, which just shows you what we're dealing with with Embiid. Um, and at the very least, guys like Fultz and Simmons will force turnovers and get out in transition where Simmons can really thrive. So they'll give you something. It just won't be, it won't be consistent. It'll, they'll be fun to watch. It'll be, it, it will be, we've, you, you said what you know about Brett Brown is that he's going to get guys to buy in defensively. And it, with the exception of a center from Duke, that's been almost unanimously true. <laughs> but this year we get to learn what he really has in his bag of tricks offensively because they have a lot of actions they can run between Fultz and Simmons as ball handlers and Bede getting him in motion into the hoop. Reddick coming off of screens. Like he will, he's always said that I've had, I have this playbook and I put out there a very small portion of it because I have young kids who I'm just trying to get to learn and to execute. Well, now he's got, granted, still, still youth. Although a guy like Reddick is, is a guy who can probably pick up that playbook quickly, but he has a lot of options in terms of skill sets that he just hasn't had before. You'll see it from time to time too over the past few years, whether it was Stauskas or, you know, going all the way back to Evan Turner or Hawes, like Brett would draw up some pretty nice plays out of timeouts. Like, and I mean, I, I think he's, he's going to love Reddick just running him off screens and running hammer plays and elevator plays for him. Like, yeah, we're definitely going to get to see him reach into that bag of tricks this year. And I mean, God, like just to get back to Reddick, like, just the space and the gravity that guy has is going to be so good for Fultz and Simmons. I mean, you, you yeah. cannot leave that guy. He shot, I mean, what were his numbers? He was 45% the last three years? Something like that. Between 43 and 45% somewhere, yeah. And that's with, like, I think, uh, I forget who did the study. I saw this. Uh, I saw this somewhere on basketball Twitter, so I'm sorry if I don't, I don't credit it. But somebody, tra- like, basically estimated – as far as shooters who took over 100 threes last year, uh, how guarded they were on those possessions. And Reddick was in the top 10 percentile in that he was guarded all the time. Now, I mean, part of that is that, like, you know, isolation players often are guarded more than players that are spot-up shooters just because they're getting their own shot. 
But, like, that just shows how much attention a defense has to play to uh, give Redick. If he's running off the screen and you're not paying attention to him, guess what? Like, he has the skill set. It's a dying skill set, too. Uh, The Ray Allen ability to curl off the screen and make a three. And just to be able to run a pick and roll with Embiid and Fultz on the other side when that's happening, I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it really will. Speaking of another guy who can provide spacing, although I don't expect it necessarily to <laughs> happen all that frequently in 2017-18, Firkin Korkmaz you know, got out of his contract, which huge news because he basically had to pay, I think it was $1.3 million. He basically had to pay his entire, or the equivalent of one year of his salary to get out of that contract. Uh, Sixers could only contribute six hundred seventy-five k and then not only that, but initially he said, you know, when he was here a couple of weeks ago, he said, you know, I'm playing in the, the FIBA U20 tournaments, which started, you know, overlapped with the end of Vegas Summer League. So everyone just kind of expected, myself included, I've spent the last couple of weeks saying, um, you know, don't expect him to play like he's going to compete in the U20 tournament because he said he was going to compete in the U20 tournament. And they had to, you know, really practice and get prepared for that. It just didn't seem like Summer League was a realistic possibility. And then we find out today, that he's here now, he's playing in the second game of Utah, he's staying throughout the, the remainder of Summer League, and he's not competing in the U-20. So it was quite a, a, a drastic turnaround. Everything's coming up Sixers right now. It really is. And that's something, like these tournaments, this isn't this isn't how we view the you know international tournaments. Like these are serious deals of these guys. I did not expect, I mean, partly because he flat out said he was playing in the U-20 tournament, but I didn't expect this kind of turnaround. So looking at it, he shot, I, I ran the numbers, he shot 140 for 332, which is 44.2% from three over the last three years in Euro League, Turkish League, and uh, and BCL play, which is, is, is the lower league. Really good shooter. I think has some athleticism. Everybody, of course, references the dunk in the Darth Vader costume, but has some has some good athleticism. Weighs about a buck 80, which is not going to get it done. How much do you expect him to play with the big club, and how much do you expect him to play in 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 the D League, which I will continue to say? The um, G League. Yeah, right. Uh, that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting. He – I guess initially I would expect him to play in the, the D slash G League more more than with the NBA club. For, first off, it, it really is amazing, like – I mean, we're recording this on a Tuesday afternoon. Just a couple of hours ago, the news broke that he was going to stick, you know, he was going to not only play in the summer league, but he's going to be with the team the whole time. I mean, shout out to the Turkish Federation for letting that happen because, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I would have said the chances of that were like, I don't know, like 5 10%. I, I especially didn't think they were going to get him in summer league. So that'll give us all a little extra entertainment for tonight's game against San Antonio. I, I kind of look at him the same way I looked at TLC last year. I, he just, like like you said, the 180 pounds, not going to get it done. And he's going to get bullied on the defensive end, at least initially. He uh, he obviously has the skill set, good three-point shooter. Uh, he, will, he will not be dunking in a, Darth, or a, a Batman or Darth Vader costume, whatever it was. That's not going to translate to the NBA. But, yeah, good athlete, good offensive player, can put it on the floor. Made some nice passes for his uh for his team after he got loaned this year. I, I would just think, though, as like a 19-year-old, I mean, my, my general thought on him coming into the summer was that he wasn't going to come over and that it would be beneficial for him to get some extra seasoning in Europe. And so I'm not going to change that. I just think that seasoning 
a decent amount of it might come in Delaware this year, which is great. I, like let them shoot a hundred times per game and, and figure out NBA systems and hopefully send Todd right down there and get him in the weight room. See if, uh, see if you can work on that body a little bit. Yeah. And, and I, I think it, look, this is a good thing for the Sixers, but I, I wouldn't expect him to make too much of an impact this year. Now that said, I didn't expect TLC to make any impact at all, yep. especially after watching him in summer league. Cause man, that guy looked completely lost in both Utah and Vegas last year. And as it turned out, by the end of the season, he, I don't I don't want to say he was playing like well, but he was showing some legit flashes. He was not embarrassing himself. And like I think people were starting to take notice. Like this guy has a chance to be pretty good in a couple of years. So I I guess the, the lesson that TLC provided is maybe expect D League and seasoning, but don't be too surprised if he makes some sort of impact at the end of this year. Luau came in and he played, you know, he played 70 games in the NBA and he played pretty good minutes towards the end. Luau is a, a year and a half older than Korkmaz, but I think he's relatively close in terms of where they are in their basketball development. Like Korkmaz has been playing professionally longer than, than Luau has. Um, Luau probably has the edge in, in, in terms of his body development, which is crazy to say because Luau is still very, very underdeveloped himself. Um, but he's certainly more physically developed than than Korkmaz is. I do agree with you. I think it makes sense. I think at, at his age, you want him getting playing time. And maybe you have him up here. I mean, certainly you're going to have him up here for training camp and, and going through in preseason, all of that stuff. Uh, you're going to have him up here at points in the season when it makes sense to be with a big club. Get some experience from a guy like Redick who, who, who plays a similar stylistic game that Korkmaz could play as he develops. Um, but I think you want him on the court for a substantial amount of time. So I think he should play in the D league. You know, a lot of people are going to ask, well, can you use one of those two way contracts? No, you can't. Um, two way contracts are a specific contract type. A, uh, a rookie scale contract doesn't fit into that. So he's going to count on your 15 man yeah. roster, but I still think you want to send him down there and get him as much playing time as you can, because he's still a young kid. I mean, he's a kid who it was nice having him loaned out to bandit last year because he got some actual playing time and you got to, a little more of a featured role than he did with Fez, who's a, a stronger club and a deeper club. So I think you want to ratchet that up one step further and have him really play 25, 30 minutes a night for really the first time in his pro career and have him do that, uh, do that with the, with the sevens as much as he can. Um, not the best environment in terms of, of team ball. And for a guy like a guy like Korkmaz, who's really a shooter and can play off of, you know, come off of screens and create a little bit, but he's, 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 Best attribute right now, day one, is going to be his off-the-ball shooting. Um, you'd like a little more structure there, but I still think you just want him getting as much playing time as you can. And with this roster, you know, I mean, we start looking at some of the guard depth right now with, um, you know, Fultz and, and okay, when we talk about guard depth, again, we're talking about who you defend. So Ben Simmons, we're going to listen to forwards here. But when you start talking about Redick and um, Stauskas and Fultz and McConnell and Bayless and Luawu, like there's just, I don't know how he's going to get the minutes he needs at his young age. Yeah. And I, it's sort of unrelated, but, but just a, a point I wanted to make real quick is that uh, I'm pretty interested in how they handle the backup point guards this year, because I mean, Jared Bayless is a guy they signed to a three-year contract last year and we didn't really get to see him play because he was hurt you know, through no fault of his own. But while he was sitting, TJ McConnell really established himself as a backup point guard. And as, again, it's a 28 win team. So I, I don't want to 
you know, pretend like he's like Draymond Green leading the, the Warriors to a championship, but sort of like the heart and soul of the team in, in some ways last year. It'll be interesting to see that because Bayless has a better skill set next to Simmons. Uh, and yeah, as far as Corkman goes, I think, uh, I remember on draft night, Colangelo said something along the lines of, this is, uh, starting to become in the best, best interest of both of us, meaning Corkman and the Sixers. And I, I wonder, I mean, I, I don't know the uh, the FS roster too well. I, I knew it pretty well in the early Dario Saric days over there. I could uh, I could give you the John Deeblers and, and whoever else was playing for the team. But I, I do wonder, like it, like you said, if he plays 25 or 30 minutes for uh, for the Sevens, is that better than him playing 10 to 15 minutes for FS? Who, uh, yeah. You know, it's hard to say. I mean, obviously they loaned him out this year. You would, you would imagine he would have stuck on the roster this year with – with how well he played at the lower levels in another year of seasoning. But I, I do wonder if they thought, you know, these guys aren't going to promise him too much playing time here. E- even though this is probably a better environment as far as team ball and structure, it, we'd rather him just get more experience. We just think this guy needs to play more. And Delaware would provide that for us. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it very well could be. You just don't usually see teams dedicate a roster spot to that. But I guess maybe not. They're saying that they have the two-way contracts and they can have, you know, these kind of, I guess the way I would describe it is kind of like a 4A prospect if if you're into baseball. Like these guys who you're going to keep in the D-League who know the system, I think they're probably going to use them on guys who are maybe not quite development prospects, but a little more ready to play guys you can bring up in case of an injury or, or a need for playing time. So maybe they'll say they're a little more willing to use one of the 15-man roster spots for development than they would have been before because of that. Uh, but you just usually don't see, you know, if a guy's destined for a league or a year in the D-League, you would typically prefer him to play overseas just because you don't have, you know, you don't have to waste one of the roster spots. But it is probably good for him to be here learning the system, learning the coaching staff, learning his teammates, and getting a little bit more playing time. I'm just, I'm very surprised it happened. I knew, I mean, we reported, everyone reported, myself included, from the moment he was drafted, that he wanted to come over as soon as he could, and he was really pissed off that he fell because it made that much more financially difficult. Uh, but I just I didn't I didn't see the finances coming together like it did, and I certainly didn't see him in in, in summer league. But it's good. Um, I'm looking forward to tonight. If he, uh, especially for the fact that that he's paying so much out of pocket, if he doesn't launch ten threes in the night's game, it, it will be a disappointment, in my opinion. He's earned it. Yeah. Um. All right, going on to Summer League, uh, bearing the lead a little bit here, talking about Reddick and Amir Johnson and, and Korkmaz before we even get to Markel It's been Fultz. a busy five days, man. It has been a busy five days. And as much as we want to see Fultz, I think we still have to remind ourselves, this is Summer League. This is still dog shit. Oh, so um, bad. But he played, he played 22 minutes the other night in a one-point loss to Boston. Uh, what was he? He was... We're six for sixteen from the field. I think at one point he was six for eleven. He missed his last five shots, including the the blocked one at the end. Uh, three blocks, a steal, four turnovers, only one assist because nobody on the team could catch. Uh, he was three for four from the line, two for five from three. Although one of them was a bank. Overall impression on Fultz's play, how he looked in summer league, and I know the answer to this, but I have to ask it: whether or not there are any new concerns or or, or maybe something that opened your eyes. No, he he was he was impressive. I thought. I mean, obviously he missed his last five, but I mean, I, you know, like 
the paint was pretty clogged. He didn't get to the rim quite as much as I I would have hoped. But like it, it looked very Washington Washingtonian at times the other night. Like it was very clogged paint. Very clogged. And paint. I think the presence of players like Caleb Tarzuski, for instance, yes. could play a factor in there. But he looked good. I mean. He had a uh, he had a couple really nice moves. Obviously, they were going under the screen on him a lot, and they were playing off him. And he had a couple really nice pull up jumpers, or should I say, uh, what was it, Hezzy pull up jimbos on? Uh, <laughs> I don't even know. I don't really hoop. I guess yeah. uh, is is the uh, <laughs> is the takeaway from that. But yeah, he had a couple really smooth moves. And what struck me was how easy they looked. Like I, I think in some ways, when you watch Fultz play you wish he would show a little more fire because when uh, when he has those lapses defensively, sometimes it looks like he's not really trying that hard, honestly. But offensively, when he scores, it's just effortless. Like, he'll hit people with that hang dribble, and they'll fly way back, and he'll just nice and soft rise up for that jumper and knock it down. Yep. And, yeah, you know, here's one thing that, that I will say. As you said, he did, uh, he did fade – and he did uh, he did tire and take some possessions off at some point. I was actually kind of impressed with with his defensive int- uh, intensity the other night. I mean, I, I'm thinking back to a year ago. Ben Simmons had freaking cramps. He was trying so hard in that first game, but like he made a couple really nice plays. I mean, the one that, that stuck out to me was he made an off ball play. He uh, he left I think Tatum in the corner to uh, to tie up Jalen Brown on a drive, and I was like, man, I don't think I saw that that type of play once in Washington. He obviously, yeah. he obviously made a couple really nice blocks, but we we saw that in college. Like he has the wingspan and the uh, the anticipation to do that. But yeah, like as far as his whole game, like I didn't think he played a particularly clean game. He had four turnovers. He made a couple mistakes, but as far as like, did he show? Did it look like he was a number one pick out there? Did he make the? Did he show the necessary flashes of like a guy who was much more talented than a lot of those players on the court? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think I think a couple things probably lessen some people's takeaway of his play, and and the first is that he hasn't played organized basketball since February. Like a an agent will not let a top prospect play an organized game of basketball for fear of injury. So he's really, I mean, sure, he's had some scrimmages here since being drafted, but an actual organized game, it just he hasn't that hasn't happened. So I think. There's some rust there. Playing in Utah probably didn't really help. And certainly the spacing didn't help at all. It's like I said, it looked a lot like Washington at times in terms of, of how the big men had the paint, paint clogged. And I think a lot of people are going to look at him, and he doesn't he doesn't scream athleticism in a way somebody like, say, Jalen Brown does, who can just elevate with ease. But, man, he can get to his spots so easily and so, so easy. effortlessly, like oh. you said. And he can hit those contested pull-up shots so well and so consistently that he is – I mean, he, he's going to be fun. He had a pair of, of, of spin moves that I don't know if we've seen a guard pull off here in a decade. Like, we just don't have that kind of creativity and, and, and talent and ball handling and coordination and ability to just create space. Like, he, we talk about athleticism, and really the, the, the purpose of athleticism offensively is to create space, to create – opportunities for yourself and he does that and it might not be in a killer first step or an elevating around the rim but it is in balance and 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 throwing a guy getting your defender off balance and juking him and jab stepping him and spinning and he's just 
he got to his spots. He missed a couple shots he could have. He, he certainly faded down the stretch. But I think he showed what his game was. And I think for some people that was a little disappointing because I think they're expecting a Derrick Rose or John Wall or Russell Westbrook-level athlete, and that's just not his game. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, I think I think he played well. I think he played well. Yeah, I mean, not 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 perfect, but again, like this basketball is so bad. It, it really, yeah. I think you had the tweet the other night, and it's so true. Every year, even though you know, and even though we prefaced it on the last podcast by saying summer league basketball is awful, when the first game comes and the Sixers have like a top pick in terms of Fultz or or, or uh, Noel a few years ago or Simmons or Okafor. Like, you still get excited for it, and it takes about three minutes to to just be like, oh, my God, what am I watching? Ugh, like, just a terrible spacing. I mean, what did Luau shoot? One of nine from three? That, that's part of the reason Fultz's assists yeah. were down. I mean, those were open shots that he was just missing. And, uh, yeah, it was it was a good – I mean, it was fairly competitive at the end. It was it was a fine, fine enough watch. But, yeah, n- not good basketball. They – uh I thought uh, I thought Tatum. First off, Jalen Brown. I have no idea why he's still playing in this in this league. He's he's it's amazing. He's clearly, that was actually something I was going to bring up. When, yeah, well, when, when people say you know he was he was the third best player on the court, I don't think you realize how big of an advantage second year players oh my have God. having these kind of competitions. It's, it's astronomical. And then Tatum went out and he played thirty four minutes. He almost doubled Fultz's minutes. So I think people look at his numbers too. Um, but yeah, Brown was. I mean. Brown was terrific. I will say, and he wasn't necessarily good last year, but he so showed flashes. I think he has been better than I gave him credit for coming in the draft. Oh, I, I totally agree. I, I mean, I think some of the rookie of the year buzz, he just wasn't playing enough and, and doing enough things. But, like, he, he had legit flashes for a good team last year. And because he had played in playoff games and, you know, he went through an 82-game season against NBA competition, when you get the summer league, it doesn't matter how hard those guys play. Like that's that's like if you're you're playing in Major League Baseball and I'm trying to think of like the, the Phillies don't really have a, a prospect that that warrants this at this point. But like when uh, let's say like when Cole Hamels was called up, this is like when Cole Hamels in 2006 was playing for the Phillies and in the winter they said, okay, you're going to go pitch to Double A hitters now again, right. and like it's just easier. So yeah, I mean he was freaking fantastic in that game. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there wasn't really too many other takeaways. <laughs> I will say Luau got beat pretty bad a couple times by Brown and Tatum. Yes, he did. Tatum, Tatum had some of that, some pretty good moves, some of that, like, old-school type footwork uh, that that people were uh, – I don't, I don't know. He, he was a pretty polarizing prospect, but I thought he he played very well the other night too. He, uh, yeah, I, I actually – I mean, throughout the draft process, I think I came around on him as a – as a prospect, not that I think he's going to be a superstar, but I think he's he's going to be a, a solid, good player. Uh, like, I would be a little surprised if he didn't end up being a, a quality starter. But he was still low just because the fit with the Sixers. Like, I just didn't – his games didn't fit. But he certainly – you know, he looked he looked good the other night too. I'm not – I had some people come at me like, oh, you know, it's only one game, but it looks like Danny Ainge was right. Well, you can't – like, I literally had one guy say that in the same tweet. Like, Part A of your tweet can't be true and still say part B. But, uh, you know, we'll see. It will be certainly a debate that will be had in Philadelphia over the next next decade, hopefully, because of the decision that was made. There were a lot of uh, a lot of tweets about Danny Ainge early when Fultz got hot. 
and it was a little quieter at the end, which shows uh, <laughs> how uh, how hotly debated this is going to be over the next, let's call it a decade. Yeah. Hopefully. Thoughts on on uh, Bolden from the other night? Oh, he played really well. Yeah, I he was, I, you know, I mean, I think Fultz was the most impressive guy, but just Bolden, his activity level was, was awesome. I mean, again, I hadn't really seen him play all that much. But, you know, he, he was a really interesting guy to talk to in Camden a few weeks ago. And, like, I mean, it, he, he was all over the glass. He had – I think he finished with four blocks. I, I don't think blocks really is the uh, is the proper term. Like He devoured three shots at least. <laughs> they were – I mean, he, he swatted the shit out of three people. And I think a couple of them were on Tatum and, and Brown. So these weren't like – you know, these weren't necessarily scrubs either. And, yeah, I mean, he has skill, too. You can see that, like, he's very comfortable shooting the ball all the way out to the three-point line. So, yeah, I think it was definitely an encouraging start, and he's somebody that is going to be really exciting to, to monitor the rest of the summer league. Yeah, he, he he's another one. I'm almost hesitant to say this now because I got burned on, on Corkmaz. He's another one I don't expect to come over this year. But it'll be nice to have a uh, – you know, we're kind of we're kind of running out of rights-held players at this point. It was good that – Colangelo drafted uh, drafted a couple of them this year because we're starting to outside of uh, Mitchick, I think we were. We, do we have anybody else in the pipeline that wasn't drafted this year? Uh, I don't no. the same, I don't know. The same I, think, I think Corkmaz yeah. might have been. Well, wait. Do we still have a? Uh, I think the Sixers still have. Um, um, what's his name? Uh, big man that's not really big. Uh. It's a great, it's a great radio. Fuck, I'm drawing a blank. Um, no, I think I think Misich is the Oregon guy. What the fuck's his name? Oh, uh, oh, this is hilarious that we're that we're blanking on it right now. He is the uh, he's from Iran, right? Yes. Oh, this is hilarious that we don't know his name. Um, Arzalan Kazemi. Yes, <laughs> I talked about him the other day because <laughs> people are like, can you play if you don't have a contract? And I used him example, and then today I just couldn't think of a fucking thing. Um, but I think we still have his. Uh, not maybe sh- not. He's not. I'm not listed. sure. He's not listed on NBA assets, which is which is the page. Yeah, he's I not. Why did they trade him? Did I miss that trade? Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, outside of Corkmaz, the only one before this year, the last one remaining was uh, was Mitchick. So it was good to restock that and have some guys to you know kind of um, obsess over <laughs> while we wait for them to come over. Because let's be honest, Mitchick isn't a real prospect. No, anymore. it's too bad. I love that guy when he was 20, but. It's fun to watch. But yeah, he's not a real prospect. Yeah, and you know, to have him and and Lessort now is yeah, it's definitely good to replenish the pipeline, even as the Sixers are moving their way up as a team. Pesetchniks. What's up? Oh yeah, Pesetchniks too. Sorry. The, yes. They uh for them to to replenish that pipeline. The guy with the name. The the other the other Latvian, uh, Porzingis two point oh. He uh. Right. No, yeah, to. If one of those guys hits, too, and, like, again, it was one summer league game, but we did like what we saw from Bolden the other night. If one of those guys hits, that'll be really important for the Sixers to have a guy on a uh, on a low-cost-controlled contract, low-money-cost-controlled deal while the rest of the court gets expensive. Yeah, no doubt. It was nice seeing the uh, J.J. Redick signing broken by him t- tweeting, Trust the process. It is amazing how that has become almost like a a requirement to joining the Sixers. But um, what a world, huh? 
What's what's the new slogan that the uh, the Sixers are trying to push? They have a new one out. I, I haven't caught. I I guess I got to check with the marketing department. It's not it's not process to progress, right? That was sort of just no, no, no. Scott Scott Bale, or the CEO of the Sixers bailed okay. on that one. Um, it was like the time is now or some bullshit like that, which doesn't even make sense because they're still they're still on the upward trajectory. Time isn't really now yet. Um, there was something I'll I'll think of it probably in four minutes. Uh, we won't fill it with dead noise this time though. Um, but it's just funny how the team, you know, they're still at debate at one point, whether they're going to allow Embiid to be announced as the process. And now with his endorsement, it has become a, you know, it has become a defining part of this team, which is crazy uh, considering the backstory, but it's, it's fun. It was fun to find out that way. Uh, all right. Uh, final thing before I let you go, it's been the talk of the town. Everybody has to give a way too early win total. So let's let's go ahead and say it right now. I think more or less we know the team that they're going to have this year. I'd be surprised, which, again, this is going to come back and bite me, but I'd surprise, be surprised if there was a real major move on the pipeline. So we're going to sound ridiculous in nine months, but let's go ahead and say it. What do you think? Uh, give me a win total. All right, and, and I'm going to factor in a variable here. I'm going to price in what I think is an uh, an average outcome for for the one big variable, one big variable. Um, let's say he plays 55 games this year. Okay, I think okay. that's. I would have. Uh, I think I was thinking 65, which would have been like 65 is kind of what I consider to be like things worked out. Like I think he's going to miss 15 or so games just because there's incredibly cautious with him. So like 65 is no real injury. So 55 we'll say is a a minor injury in the middle there, but all right, 55 is a good number. So let's go with a win total for 55 games of games of Embiid. I'm going to say 40 and 42. And that's good enough for the 7th seed in the East. See, I think when I was thinking 65 games, I was thinking 44 wins. That was kind of the number I had in my head. 44 wins with 65 games of Embiid. I'll go slightly more optimistic than you. I will say 42 wins with 55 of Embiid. But those, uh, those, you know, if he only plays 55 games, those 27 games will be interesting to see how they compete defensively because I'm not sure they're going to play at a, a playoff level at that point. So they're going to have to be a really good team with Embiid. Yep, and I, I expect them to, though, because they uh... – I mean, even let's say they didn't add anybody from last year. Let's let's just say they added Simmons and Fultz is off the table, and you're just basically running back the team from last year. You were going to expect improvement from that group anyway. Yep. And obviously, like I think, just saying, oh, now Simmons and Fultz are in, that's an improvement. That's a little dicey because rookies struggle, especially rookie guards. Like, I, I don't want to like necessarily say that's going to be a massive improvement. It's definitely a talent upgrade. And for the future, it's a major upgrade. But for now, I think you, you do have to be a little bit cautious. But yeah, I mean, like, what were they? Ten and five last January. You keep this guy healthy, like yep. they're going to be at least an average team overall. One of the guys that's kind of like low key really important is going to be Rashawn Holmes. Like they need him to not just be an athletic guy who can sometimes make a make up make a block, but they need him to be a good defender. They need him to be a rebounder and they need to be able to rely on him not only for backup minutes, but to be able to start twenty, twenty five games when Embiid's not available. They don't have you know Neurons Noel to fall back on. They don't have 
Jaleel Okafor to count on. They need to be able to count on Rashawn Holmes. So hopefully he he's kind of the guy everyone's going to be focused, myself included, on Fultz and Simmons and Embiid and even guys like Korkmaz and Luau. But low-key, he's going to be a very important guy for this team's success. No arguments here. Don't want to keep Amir Johnson off the court as much as possible. So, <laughs> yeah, and, and certainly that other guy. All right. Uh, I think that's probably good for now. Thank you for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man. You've been listening to the Sixers Beat right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co.